0: Welcome to the Vocational Education
1: Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Dan.
0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Vocational Education Podcast. I think you'll get a lot out of today's discussion with Matt Peachy. We go into some really excellent topics and he'll uh, discuss how his business has been going over the last few months, uh, dealing with the ins and outs of COVID and uh, lockdowns and restructure of the vocational education sector. So I hope you get a lot out of it, as I mentioned, and also uh, I am looking forward to seeing some feedback. Uh, some of you have been emailing me directly, I appreciate that. Also any comments on the YouTube version of this clip, uh, all very much welcome. So without any further ado, I'll hand over to myself and Matt Peachy for our interview. Yes, welcome my friend to the Vocational Education Podcast. Great for you to join us today. Um, Matt, The The reason I wanted to get you on and have a chat to you today is really about uh, the vocational sector, what you've been doing personally, what you've been doing professionally, and also what your organisation is looking forward to in 2021, if we can actually be as bold enough to consider the next year at this stage. So to start with, can you maybe uh, let our listeners
1: into what you do? Certainly. Um, So I uh, I own and run in partnership Um, the learning resources group. So as an organisation, we provide training assessment resource material for uh, just north of 250 different units of competency, mostly across the industrial sector. So um, high risk licensing, uh, civil construction, mining, um, transport and logistics and a a few other sort of uh, external areas that 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 fits within. And so we've been doing that for uh, coming up 12 years now. on top of that, we also have an adult literacy testing system, uh, LLN robot, which um, assesses learners' skills against the Australian Core Skills Framework. Um, mm. And so we writing, writing, numeracy, oral communication and learning. Um, and then that also does an analysis of all of the components of, the, of each of the uh, units of competency nationally and gives them an ACSF profile. Um, oh wow! Okay. And so then it compares the learner's the learner's snapshot of where the learner is today as to where they're going to need to be at the end of training, and then puts um, some resources in place to help the learner bridge any of those gaps, as which can be included as part of the training process or done uh, prior to training commence. So that's been a fairly big, um, fairly big resource that uh, it's been rolled out to I think about 850 or 900 RTAs nationally, in about the same schools down the eastern seaboard and some in WA. Well, that's a
0: fantastic resource.
1: Um, so that's what kind of keeps us off the streets most days. Uh, we also have some, um, we've kind of built a bridge between um, a lot of our clients only train a small handful of, of, uh, of courses so and short courses, so things like, um, you know, getting a licence to drive a forklift or managing an EWP or a crane. Um, so a lot of them have a bit of trouble accessing and using learning management systems and also online learning. With the, uh, with the onset of the pandemic, we put a process in place that kind of bridges um, the enrolment and results process of a learning management system for some of our clients. So they just hook in and use ours, uh, essentially by filling out a form, enrols their learners. The learners complete the, the formative theory component of the training and then it sends through a set of results back to the RTO so they don't have to interact with a, a learning management system and another software system to their Their scope of work. Um, And so, what that does is give them the ability to sort of have a a baseline of where the learner's at before they come in for training, Um, get a bit of understanding of areas of weakness so they can gap train and and then go on with the practical component of what they do um, in a socially distant version of uh, of practical training and assessment now
0: if i can go back very quickly to that that actually really excites me i didn't know about the llm robot um but also with your learning resources and that tool that you just talked about how do you um is it a valid
1: uh, assessment is it a validated assessment that they can then apply to the rest of it or is it more like a formative assessment for them it's more formative so it's about it sort of takes away the the training room classroom based component of a lot of this practical industrial training so that um, we found with a lot of the research that we did that a lot of the learners in that space are more likely to engage with the initial learning content and in a space where they're not, not around other people, they're not under pressure to learn at a certain speed um, without anyone around them and they can kind of essentially sit at home on the phone on their phone, on their couch and, and get an understanding of the learning content before moving into the training environment um, and doing some formative assessment or review questions just gives the, the RTO the opportunity opportunity to understand you know which concepts the learners understand before coming into training and which ones they don't so that then they can apply a kind of a gap training um, process and then we find too that it gives the opportunity for the learners a lot of these particular learners are much more practically based so that they can for example in our forklift example they can actually come in and first thing they do when they arrive is is get shown how to drive a forklift and it actually embeds that that understanding and, and that level of competence a lot better um, in that space, and so then, you know, um, summative assessment and stuff is conducted after that. And, and in that case, licensing—it's uh, a licensing process, so um, there's a mandated assessment instrument for it. Um, so yeah, we think it's—we um, think it's a, a lot of a lot of our clients. The feedback we had over the years, a lot of our clients were actually kind of posting out uh, a printed version of the learner guide to their to their learners before training and asking them to read that and hand fill out um short answer questions and they were coming back without having looked at it or or done any of the questions and interacting with it in any way whereas this gives a kind of trackable and traceable way of of the rtos managing that process and the learners are much more likely to interact with it with their phone than a than a book as such Mm,
0: and i imagine it'd be much more engaging for the student to turn up and get straight onto the machinery as well
1: makes a huge difference whereas if they have to sit for four or five hours in a training room with you know eight other people on a powerpoint presentation and a trainer um but uh that, and that level of content, you know, some of our bigger high-risk courses, things like, you know, rigging and dogging where you're, you know, controlling cranes and stuff, some of the PowerPoints can be 200 slides long. It's a, it's a long and painful process.
0: Yes, that's one of my uh, pet hates, that one. You mentioned, uh, and and this is actually what I want to take the conversation, if that's okay with you, you mentioned that um, you had to install some stuff or instill some stuff early on during the COVID um, pandemic when it first started. Uh, Can you maybe talk me through those first few months and how it affected your business and how you had to, I hate using this word, but pivot um, (laughs) at that time to try and um, deal with what market needed from you?
1: Yeah, so look, I mean, as an organisation, we're fairly lucky in that we've, over the years, a lot of our staff have always worked remotely. So we've always had the tools available for us as an organisation just to send everybody home because we've got subject matter experts that work in various states. We've got um, content people and uh, tech people that work all over the country. So we've been really lucky that we, from a from an organisational point of view, we didn't have to make much change to continue our operation. Everyone could just go home and be safe, and, and we've been operating from home since March um our whole team um as far as our clients were concerned we had a lot of this stuff in place um prior to the pandemic but we hadn't really heavily rolled it out or um and you know sort of day one when it all happened we had that many clients calling us and going i need to get to remote learning how do i do remote learning um and so we actually offered the our, our truncated we call it paperless training for the purposes of that exercise we rolled that product out for free to all of our clients for six months from the start of the pandemic so Um, we had about 170 or 80 odd RTOs take that up and use that as a a way for them to sort of still be able to interact with their clients um, at no cost and give them a chance to kind of try and work their way out the other side so um, we found that was that was really useful for our clients and you know it's it was an add-on to what we do as part of our business not our core business so um, we felt like it was a way we could actually make a tangible difference to the sector without you know Obviously, jeopardising our own organisation, but obviously putting something in place to help others. So, which was uh, which was a good outcome for everybody.
0: I think, and I might be premature in saying this, I think organisations like yours who do that, who who give, I must admit, you must get some karma back. You must get some uh, return business because um, they're. I was about to besmirch an entire industry then but there are a lot of industries that tend not to uh, um, give an inch during that time and I think the training industry and by all means I'd love to hear your feedback on this or your input, uh, the training industry has been very forgiving uh, as far as both the students goes, the suppliers like yourselves and the RTOs themselves.
1: Yeah I'd like to think so, I mean the the reality for this is we've been doing this for a fair while and as I say to a lot of our clients we sort of don't do this for practice and we're not doing it for the short term and um, to me, it was kind of, we we obviously had to look at the business case for it to make sure that it was affordable and that it wasn't going to jeopardise the the families and loved ones of our team and our our staff. Um, But we felt like the least we can do is put something back. I've always been a big believer in that. And I think across the board, people have been really, uh, a lot of our clients are really grateful for it. Um, I mean, for us, it was good. We had a, a whole group of new people that hadn't interacted with us before that came on board and started you know, at least having a conversation with us. And and getting involved which was good for us long term I think Um I, I absolutely believe there'll be a good outcome to that but I you know we kind of did it more from the point of view that um I think it's important to if you can do the right thing you should and um, if it comes back to you great but it, I think yeah, um you also got to be able to sleep at night too so um but I think you're right I think there was a yeah there's not the reason you do it. It, it yeah yeah I think there was a there's a good um it was just nice to it's nice to see people helping people out it's been a uh, it's been a really good circumstance, and look—in fairness, some of our clients haven't even really been affected by the pandemic. I was talking to one of our clients from the Pilbara a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, "You know, it's as if there's never been a virus up here." He said, "We're just business as usual." So, um, it's had a huge effect in some areas, and 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 not as much effect in others. But um, I think everybody's been touched by it at some point, in some way, shape, or form.
0: Whereabouts is your um, head office located?
1: Uh, we're we're based in Victoria, so we're we're uh, we're, we're stuck in just north of lockdown central (laughs) okay so uh uh, but we've been really lucky we've um we've been able to been able to transition to work from home um some of our team have got kids at home so we've kind of had to restructure the way we do business a little bit because there's a fair bit of homeschooling going on but um look I think from our perspective we were just really pleased that we could keep everybody safe and and you know still manage to to do business and, and help our clients it's been good for me. I'm traveling significantly less than I ever have. So, because I spend most of my time uh, in various states, sitting in various RTOs with our clients, sitting in audits, helping them through, you know, marketing processes and additions to scope and all this kind of thing. So it's actually been nice to have some time at home, but perhaps too much time.
0: Do you think that um, people are getting more and more used to this environment, this virtual environment?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, The amount of times that I'm not looking at people's ears on Zoom calls or um or well, their ceiling is has definitely improved um no look it's good and it it's it's interesting because i've been talking about clients about video conferencing for years um and there's certainly something to be said to be about be able to sit in a room and talk about stuff and go through things i think that's important and i think it's important we don't lose that but i think these there's a lot shorter conversations can be had without a lot with a lot less uh interruption to the day that can be had in these kind of environments so um we've always had pretty strong relationships with our clients too. Like I've been, I've been traveling all over the country for the last 10 or 12 years, visiting clients in their buildings in their sites and their offices and, and getting to know them. And there's, you know, some of them have been having me over for dinner afterwards and stuff. And it's, you know, we've had, we've got a lot of repeat clients that have been good clients with us for a very long time. So um, I'm certainly keen to make sure we maintain those relationships, but um yeah, I think the convenience of Zoom is, and, and other platforms like that have certainly made it a lot uh, a lot more approachable and, and the ability to be in contact more frequently too, which I think is good.
0: Now, I must admit the hours in traffic, when I used to work out of Sydney, the hours in traffic just to get to the airport, I was in the Western suburbs and it was two hours each way just to get to the airport, then sit at the airport for an hour, then catch a plane for an hour to, to go to, you know, you have to book overnight. You have there is there is so much cost involved in time. Um, that I think, and this is just me yeah. talking, but from what the it sounds of it, it's very, very similar. When you start to account for that, the productivity in doing it this way, but I do agree with you still um, on the odd occasion, when the chance arrives to to meet face to face, I think um, I think it's a really new way of doing business. And, and in the supplier to RTO sector, which you're in, um, you, know, you don't lose that that touch. I mean, this is good. I can see you. I can see where you're at. I mean, I can't see your background <laughs> and you don't want to see mine either. <laughs> but um, but other than that, you know, we're, we're talking face-to-face and I think this was a real scary point when per- people first started to think about using Skype or, or um, you know, the, the other uh, platforms back in the day. But um, the improvements that this particular platform has gone through in the last 12 months due to the huge uh, increase in usership um has made it a lot more easy for a lot of people to use i, I actually trained someone who was in their mid 80s uh, mid 80s from, from new south wales i'm in queensland and she was all over it you know, absolutely all over it and loved the experience um, so you know it's uh, it, yeah it's it's getting its its dues thanks to, and this is maybe a positive thing that will come out of this a lot less time away from family a yeah. lot of time on the road and if you're trying to be a green organization it's a lot easier it's a lot easier. Yeah.
1: I oh, look, and we've we've been, I mean, we've been um major sponsor of the Velt Conference for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years or something now. And we actually stopped handing out brochures, I reckon, six years ago. Mm. Um, okay. we gave people access to digital brochures straight away. We've always been it's been a real point of uh, pain for us as an organization. I haven't let our team have a printer in the building for I don't know how many years. Mm. Um and I yeah, and there's ways and means of doing this that I think makes an impact and it's yeah, and I'll, look, I've got to admit, we had an office in Double Bay for a while and, and you know, getting to 90 minutes to Melbourne Airport on a plane into Sydney, out to Double Bay, um, off to see a client from wherever we were. Just, yeah, the amount of time you're losing away from family and stuff is huge. Yeah. Um, and hotels are nice, but uh, home's better.
0: Yeah, always, always. Uh, now, tell me more about LLN Robot. Um, I, I must admit, I wasn't aware of it and I feel absolutely naive now because um, – uh, yeah, I was aware of the um, Acer version when they first came out with it mm-hmm. back when, and it was expensive and um, government agencies used it, but a lot of private RTOs didn't. So tell me about yours. What, how, firstly, I'm, I'm very keen. How much does it cost per student and, and what's the process? I, you did explain a little bit of it, but just, yeah, if you could go through that with me. Yeah, sure. So
1: look, we actually have an annual subscription with a sort of an up to level of quizzes. So the basic one is, uh, I think, 985 dollars a year with up to 200 quiz completions. Okay. Um, and so it has a vet student loan quiz built in it as well. So it's an approved tool by Department of Ed. Um, it has a, an ACSF, up to ACSF level three quiz and then an up to ACSF level four version as well. Okay. Um, it's um, We kind of priced it very competitively because there wasn't many lower cost options on the market. And again, a lot of our clients only train low volumes of learners. Um, so the initial thought we built it seven or eight years ago Um In a slightly different format to what it is now as a free tool for our clients to use because so many of them didn't have an lln process in place um and then we've obviously expanded on its functionality and usability and and those kind of things since then Mm. um yeah look we um the testing platform's all completely online so done on a tablet or a computer um the learner gets a, a link to go in and do the quiz they work their way through the quiz um it, it assesses them dynamically, so it brings them in at level two in each of the skills. If they get the level two questions right, they see level three. If they get them wrong, they see level one and so on. For each of the five skills. Uh, and then it generates a spiky profile based on a snapshot of the learners. The main point of difference that the system has is that it's got a full analysis tool in it, so it, it reaches out to training, the backend of training.gov. Grabs every unit of competency in training.gov, grabs the language out of it, and does a full trigger word and trigger phrase analysis against the Australian Core Skills Framework, and a a sort of a spiky profile for that course on where the learner's going to need to be at the end of training. So, what it then does is it recognises any gaps between the learner's current skills and the skills they're going to be required to do the job, and puts a plan in place with self paced learning supplements and recommendations for trainers and teachers. On things they can do during the course of the training to help the learner bridge the gap between where they are today and where they need to be at the end of training. So, um, yeah, look, and we've had that platform available for, in its current format, probably seven years, six years. Um, we got an approved tool for, uh, with a vet student loan quiz in it when, uh, well, actually when it was originally vet fee help and then when it moved to vet student loans, we had the approved tool. Um, and, yeah, I think there's somewhere around Somewhere north of nine hundred RTAs, up to a thousand RTAs using it nationally at the moment, um, and uh, it's been used in a lot of vet and schools programs too. So right up the eastern seaboard, Tassie, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, and some over in WA. Um, so yeah, it's um, there's certainly a lot of uh, a lot of people being quizzed through the through the platform. It's um, it's been very popular. Yeah, well, I don't. It doesn't.
0: It sounds very very comprehensive for a start, and I can imagine from an RTO's perspective having. The reporting having the spiky profiles um uh, even as a teacher you'd get that and you go oh wow this is this is gold because generally mm. speaking I mean, it's one of the questions we have in our um in our LN uh assessments is you know h- how do you assess how do you assess the lln um, requirements of the staff uh, of these training products etc and um and, and having a tool like that sounds brilliant so you said it's mapped against the
1: units of competency on tga yeah, and they're just all mapped against the Australian Core Skills Framework. Mm. So it, it grabs all the language of the unit of competency and uh, we have a set of, based on the training package, we have a different database of trigger words and trigger phrases at different AQF levels. Yep. Um, and then it says, you know, so it'll, it'll every time it, it'll go, okay, this particular unit of competency has a score of two for numeracy, a score of three for writing, a score of three for reading, mm. and so on and so forth. So that way you've got a you're talking apples and apples when you're comparing the learner's spiky profile. You're actually not just comparing them to the AQF level. You're comparing them to the ACSF analysis of the training that you're that you're engaging the learner in. So, so do you get those trigger words from the um, ACSF itself? The that list that it has in there? Yes, based on it's based on that, and also based on the training package, and um, and so things like um, you know, well, they don't have them now, but the range statements and those types of things from units that gave you the kind of uh, the trigger stuff. So you might talk about things like legislation or um, you know, forms or formulas or these kind of things or trigger things like numeracy, high level of numeracy required, higher level of reading or writing. Um, and so we've we've had that um uh, we've got a we've got a, a team of LLN specialists who have worked through that process and then we had it externally vetted and um and reviewed as on a number of occasions prior to getting the um the approval by Department of Ed. So um, yeah look it's a really comprehensive tool it's just uh, we tried to keep it as straightforward and simple as possible um, and again from the point of view that the the bandwidths in the Australian Core Skills Framework you know the difference between someone who's at ACSF 3 and ACSF 4 is enormous um, and so that's not something you can necessarily bridge just during a training process and especially if it's a short course if it's a you know, a first aid course or a, a skill set or something like that. But at least it's about them, the trainer, recognising that, okay, this particular learner is going to struggle with the numeracy component of this. Let me really focus in on how we present that to the learner so that they get a better understanding and are more able to work their way through training. Mm. So I think there's kind of a, a bonus in both directions on that. So, so which
0: um, training packages does it align to? Is it all of them? Or all of them. All of them, wow. Okay, that's
1: api stuff going in the background <laughs> yeah, yeah that was a that's a huge project um and look i mean the system's had you know a large number of developers working on it over a, a long time so um but it's really comprehensive and it works really well so um we find it's a it's a it's a really cool process and we kind of the, from our perspective too we working with a lot of industrial based rtos they were really struggling and they'll have a lot of their cohort are at a lower ACSF level. The ones that come into some of those trades and those kind of industrial-based things, and having the tools available to not only recognise their current circumstances, but where they're going to need to be as far as their training's concerned, adds a, it saves a lot of time and effort on the trainer's part. And in fairness, this is a lot of stuff that trainers were doing intuitively. Um, prior to all of this process. You know, oh, this this guy over here is really struggling with his maths, I'll help him out with that stuff a bit more. I know we're doing that themselves, but this at least gives them a heads up and some tools to work with to do it. Mm.
0: So um, this brings me into, I guess, the middle of the pandemic, around the June, July, August period. Um, So you had a bit of a rush at the start. What was the organisation's... I guess direction at that point was it like solidifying? Was it like uh, consolidating? I should say, or were you looking at growing still? But what was happening around that mid period there?
1: Yeah. So look, for us, we were we were really lucky in that um, we came from a fairly strong base. We've been doing this for a long time. We've got a big client base. Um, our LLN robot is is used quite widely, and obviously on a subscription. So we're in the position where we could we could actually we've grown a little bit. We've um, we, we were lucky enough to reach out and we hired quite a few extra subject matter experts to kind of do some preparatory work towards some new content for us because they were all struggling within their RTAs and missing out on work. Um, we actually hired quite a few on co- short-term contracts to kind of uh, helped us because it meant we got some extra content done that, and from, from some really talented people that would otherwise be really busy. Mm. Um, and it also meant that it helped them out a bit because a lot of them had some income and some work over that period. Um, so that's put us in a position that over the next sort of six to twelve months, we're going to have a lot more content that we'll be able to roll out. Oh,
0: fantastic!
1: Um, which is great. So we kind of we saw it more as an opportunity to, to, to kind of grow our business as best we could in the time that we had available. So um, yeah, we've got a, a bank of really, really, really good content now that we can have our team go through and and do all of the compliance and mapping and stuff for and put all that together and roll that out over the next six to twelve months. So. Um, yeah, so while a lot of these guys had, had some downtime, we took advantage of that. Um, we've grown our team a little bit. We've, um, we've been lucky enough to hire some, some really talented people who unfortunately lost their jobs so, and working remotely for us. So we've got a, um, a couple of our team working remotely, which has been really good added to the team, So which has been great. So, and we've just been sort of keeping our head down and doing our day-to-day stuff and, and trying to work on our product and our content in the background. We're releasing just some minor tweaks to LLN Robot, which the team have been working on over the last few months that will come out in the next week or so. Um, we've got a new uh, assessment app that we'll be releasing in the new year that we've built over this time, so a uh, uh, phone or tablet-based app that um, we build our, assess- our practical assessment tools into, and our clients will be able to take video and photo evidence with it and link it all directly to the assessment, and then it sends that data straight back to, to head office, so to speak, and um, it means that uh, there's kind of going to be a, a, a better better quality of evidence, I guess, as opposed to the, the historic checklist that everyone used to work on in these practical spaces for so long. Um, so we'll have that. Uh, we've got 40-odd assessment tools in that that'll be released in the next month or so. So we've had uh, we've had a lot of busy bees working away in the background.
0: Yeah. So is that the plan for the new year? Because that was going to be my next question. Is the, is the plan to slowly grow that... Um, That database, if you like, of other assessment tools across multiple training packages?
1: Uh, Mostly in our current sector, because most of the stuff we're building the assessment tools for are very heavily practical things, uh, machine operation, those types of things. So, um, and that's the space we specialise in and where we've had all our experience. So, we feel that that's, you know, we want to do what we're good at. Mm. expanding is great but you know you need to do it in a space we understand what the heck you're talking about because mm. i don't like really fielding phone calls about stuff i don't understand so <laughs> no, um not. i'm a big fan of uh, big fan of being good at what you do mm. um so uh but yeah so look yeah the we'll have the we're really keen to find smart technological improvements for the way our clients do business mm. um, and without Overcomplicating things and without adding too many extra systems and, and a, a burden of administration in place. We want to try and find cleaner, smarter, better ways of doing business for our clients because the more money they make, the more money we make, and everybody's happy and life's easier. Mm. So, so,
0: your technological improvements is it in house? Are you, you've got coders in house?
1: Yep. Yeah, we do. We have a coding team as well as we've got some external guys working on some stuff too. So, um, because some of it's project based, we don't necessarily need to have. Um, so the app we actually outsourced the platform for the app but our team have added all of the assessment tools in and customized it to suit mm. um the way the vet sector works so which was good so i mean we didn't have to reinvent the wheel and it's not a five-year project it's a 12-month project mm. um and so it means we can also roll it out at a lower cost um, as well so
0: yeah
1: so, so, what, so much existing technology
0: out there now there is there is and there's always competing and there's always little. Uh, tweaks here and there. So so what uh, platforms do you currently use?
1: Um also uh, from an LMS platform, so our content that we host for our clients to use as training stuff we use Coassemble. Um so uh, they I think the the guys from ibsa brought them out to Australia from the US going back quite a few years ago and we sort of hunted around and looked at a lot of learning management systems to integrate with and we wanted something with a decent authoring tool and a slightly less complex uh, enrollment and results process and so um we did that and then we've built some software that sits either side of it to manage enrolments and and results coming out of it so our clients don't have to interact with it mm-hmm. um uh, the we've, we've bought some code for a platform for the app that we're going to release so that's not a an existing platform that anyone okay. will use um organizationally we've been obviously relying really heavily on zoom for our internal communication stuff we use slack quite a lot which has been fantastic especially having the team remotely Mm -hmm. the ability to send quick messages and link files and those kind of things have been um really important our lln robot platform is built from the ground up um so which has been uh, a labor of of love and frustration at times (laughs) uh, but uh uh, turned out to be a great thing so yeah look we um and we're always really keen to we use a platform called zapier um quite a lot which links uh, it's kind of like a it links software systems from one to another. Um, so it says, if this software system puts out this piece of data, let's collect it and stick it into a different software system over here and make it do that. So it saves a lot of coding and a lot of um, a lot of stuff. So because integration's become a real, uh, really important factor for a lot of our, for us and for a lot of our clients. So we use that as a platform to do that to save a lot of time and money in the integration processes. I think we're seeing
0: that a lot, actually. Software as a service is definitely the way to go. So I applaud you on that. I think that's uh, just the smart way to go, not just for your um, ongoing uh, viability, which is, is obviously growing, but also for for the RTOs because if you're going to employ someone internal to maintain and do the sorts of improvements that you guys are doing, you could you couldn't not for the money, you know, not not a million years. So uh, it's a it's a really viable option. So I, I congratulate you for that. I think that's great, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I guess the other thing is, you just mentioned uh, Zapier, but um, any sort of middleware it seems to be, um, uh, from what I've seen talking to other people in, in similar sorts of um, technological environments, is that uh, that's the big thing for RTOs, I'm using WiseNet, I'm using VetTrack, how can you give this to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they go, oh well it just plugs in, oh that's all I wanted to know, because from an RTO yeah. point of view, all I cared about is their learners, they want their learners to come out with outcomes and they want to be compliant and can you hmm. give me this? <laughs> you know, they don't yeah. they don't want the technological headache. So um, it sounds yeah. like you're, you're mastering that.
1: Yeah, look, I talked to a lot of our clients too. Integration's a wonderful thing, uh, but if it's going to cost you the national debt to integrate something, and it's a 30 second process that someone who's already sitting at a desk can do, mm. sometimes it's not always the be all and end all as well. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think long-term systems should be able to talk to each other because the data is all the same. It's mm. just about how you, which way you push it and which way you receive it. So um yeah it all makes sense but look and i i've I've felt for a lot of our rtos over the last 12 months it's been a real struggle for a lot of them and and having to not only continue to try and run their businesses and keep their staff in place but take on board new processes and new systems um and try and maintain a you know their level of compliance and and understand the regulations and all of these kind of things that go on it's a you know, especially in our in our sector, you know, a guy who's really great at operating operating machinery 15, 20 years ago climbed down off that machine, opened an RTO, um, and all of a sudden has this whole world of compliance and administration to deal with It was never an issue when you were, you know, lifting girders up onto a up onto a skyscraper or or digging a giant open coal hole, so to speak. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's the dynamic of the industry has changed a lot over time and for the better because it's. It's really important that we look after learners and they get a good level of consistency. But um I think, you know, the more tools and, and processes and things we can put in place to help that and let people get back to the business of doing training, I think is going to be really important.
0: Mm. And also bring that skill like that operator who, you know, climbs down off his his um, crane or whatever he's doing, that that experience mm. shouldn't be withheld just because they don't have the compliance knowledge to to open an RTO it's it's almost a shame mm-hmm. and we've seen RTOs mm-hmm. open for the sake of being an RTO and what they and yeah. to do in, in the day back in the fee help days, <laughs> you know, heaven forbid, but back in those days, we had yeah, massive RTOs open, and and the sorts of trainers that were getting in were, were wage earners, you know, they weren't um skilled yeah. industry people. So, I think we're, we're coming into a new era, I think, in vocational education. And uh, and also, thank you for supporting the smaller guys because they're the ones who are closest to the tools, they're the ones who are closest to the industry. So, uh, I th- I, again, congratulations on that, I think that's fantastic. Um, and, and last but not least, uh, couldn't you believe that's half an hour already? <laughs> talk Time flies ages. when I talk a lot. No, oh, no, it's great. Um, just to get your sense of, um, uh, personally, um, of the sector in general, how, how do you feel, like I've expressed my feelings about where I think it's going, but well, what do you see from all these people you talk to, you've got hundreds of clients, how do you feel the industry is going to go in the next um, two to three years? Because Obviously, this last year, yes, has been tough, but a lot of businesses have consolidated. A lot of businesses have used this time to go to people like yourself and and get new tools and, and get new systems in the background. So where do you see it going?
1: Um, look, I think in the medium term, I think things will probably progress as they were prior to the, to the pandemic. I think, um, you know, there's a good amount of funding out there. There's going to be a lot of skills shortages just purely based on um, the fact that there'll be people who have fallen out of industries that are that are shutting down or they've been really affected and then there's going to be a huge need in other industries. So okay. I think the VET sector's got a huge role to play in reskilling people. people. Um, and I think, you know, in government, whenever time's are tough, government put a lot of money into infrastructure, so roads will be built, buildings will be built, um, you know, sewers will be put in place, all of those kind of projects will get put out there. So I think especially in the industrial sector, for us anyway, there's going to be a huge... I think there's going to be a huge migration of people from other industries trying to move into a boom industry like this one. So I think our clients are going to be very busy. I think um, it's going to be a real challenge. I mean, and again, you you look at areas like the aged care sector and, and the health sector at the moment are going to be absolutely inundated with need of... Of skills shortages, and, and obviously with our level of migration being cut back so dramatically with closed borders, this going to not, we're not going to be able to bring in skilled workers. So we're going to have to. Governments are really going to have to focus on reskilling um, people who've been taken out of their current employment roles and, and, and putting them into different different industries. So I think the vet sector is going to have a huge burden um, in managing that. And again, higher ed is probably going to struggle financially in the short term as well. So whether some of that gets diverted there or not, I don't know. Um, Yeah, and I I mean, I think that the the Joyce review's going to have an impact if some of that gets implemented. Um, And I think there's a lot of good stuff in that. There's a lot of challenges in that too, but I think there's a lot to be said. So look, I think provided that we can manage the way funding's handed out in the next 12 to 18 months to two years, I think it's going to be really crucial. We don't want to have the same issues we have with vet fee help, um, provided we can sort of you know, give our RTOs the tools and the equipment and the personnel they need to be able to manage this this real shift in the employment dynamic in the country, I think is going to be really interesting. Um, but there's a lot of good people working in the sector who are very smart and very good at what they do, so I've got a lot of faith that uh, we'll find a way.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely carry your optimism forward. Uh, I talked to Claire Fielder in the last year and uh, about the Joyce report and she was saying that um, the... Um, the focus on student outcomes is a really big positive part of that report and that you've mm-hmm. seen that shift i think especially with the smaller rtos because mm-hmm. they've had to and then uh, mm-hmm. you you know the sectors there too i think all those sectors are the ones that are, are definitely going to have some growth the other one that comes to mind is the it sector but not so much growth as mm-hmm. as um as being more agile so the the i think you may have read recently about the speed of getting training packages to you know out- yeah. group so yeah
1: yeah, and that'll be interesting too. I'm not quite sure how that washes out mm. um, because industry change their mind very frequently about what they want as well too. So the the kind of level of inertia that training packages have in some ways helps everybody bed down exactly what they want. Mm. Um, and the problem is, is if these things change that frequently, it is a lot harder for RTOs because um, if there's frequent changes to training package means they've got to update their content or update their mapping or update their processes mm. far more frequently, which is... Um, administratively quite difficult and I had one of our clients a few years back say to me well how you drive an excavator hasn't changed much in the last 10 years and they still work the same way he said I can't keep can't work out why they keep changing the rules but I think there's a middle road in all of that too so um yeah it's going to be interesting i we're really looking forward to it we uh, we think that there's going to be some good stuff and our clients are good people and they work bloody hard and they're good at what they do and they know what they're talking about and I think provided they can get the right Level of you know compliance and administrative support around them. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of good skilled people out there, um, and hopefully, uh, you know, I think this bad time has weeded out a lot of the providers who perhaps were like you spoke about the the RTOs that were put in place just to be an RTO uh, and weren't really long term around funding. I think these difficult times has probably sorted a few of those out too. And and maybe we might be left with the really good, long, sustainable RTOs. Yeah, and without alienating too many listeners, also the Crycos ITOs as well, the ones who are
0: really yeah. heavily, depending on uh, international students, have had to pivot again to try and make them themselves viable. Yeah. So, that, And yeah, I guess also for a good reason. Um, well, that's really all I really want to talk to you about today, even though I do have a lot of other questions for you. So maybe you and I can have a chat offline. But, um, sure. Yeah. What I'd like you to do is just let our listeners know about how they can get hold of you, uh, like website, phone numbers, emails, and that sort of thing. And I'll, sure. Be make, I'll make sure I pop that in the bottom of the uh, podcast for you as well.
1: Absolutely. So everything we do, all our pricing, everything that we have available is on our site, which is tlrg.com.au, the learning resources group um and all our contact details are there we're currently neck deep in the middle of the virtual vet expo yes yeah, uh, which feels very weird compared to the previous one uh <laughs> previous incarnations one. but hey i've enjoyed most of them to be honest mm. but uh, yeah this one certainly does feel different but uh, yeah look jump on our site uh we're really transparent about everything we do everything we do is on there everything has a price we uh And we're always available too. So pick up the phone, send us an email. We're happy to have a chat.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Um, Matt. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. So um, I'll see you around the traps, absolutely.